Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are our abiding hope, that you're with us every step of the way of our lives. And God, when, when we've turned away from you, you never turn away from us. And that's what we're going to talk about today. God, we thank you that you are always there for us. And we pray that your Holy Spirit will fill us right now so that as we hear the words from your word, as we hear the message that you have laid on my heart today, um, that we'll receive it and that we'll turn away from any sin in our life, that we'll turn back to you because we know that you tell us that when we do that, you receive us, you welcome us. And so we thank you for that, God, and we thank you in advance for what you're going to do in our lives because of this time together when we study your word, reflect on it, and then live it out in our daily lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, everyone. Welcome to New Life. I'm Pastor Chris. I'm so glad that you're here to worship with us online. If you're here for the very first time, thank you for taking the time to be with us. I hope that you'll just sit back, enjoy yourself, and as we're together here, we want you to know we want you to be part of our family. We're glad you're with us. If you come every week, then we're so glad that you're here to worship with us again. Now, we're in the, the end of a very brief three-week series. Usually our series is a little longer than that, but it's been called Pursued. And Pastor Barry uh, started out the series with a very important statement. And here's what he said. The greater things of God are not for the casual observer. The greater things of God are not for the casual observer. And that, was, that statement was made in a book called Pursuit, which is a 20-day prayer and fasting devotional by Dave Patterson. Pastor Barry challenged us in his message to seek God with all of our hearts. And he said to seek God all in. And he said, when we do that, what will happen is we will find him and we will receive the greater things of God. Then last week, Pastor Brad challenged us that as we pursue God, sometimes we have to wait. The reality is many times we have to wait. Pastor Brad and his family have been waiting for three years to pursue God in, in, in the direction that, that he has for them in their next step of obedience as a family. And, and as I think about Pastor Brad moving on to Colorado Springs, which is his next step after waiting for three years, I'm so grateful to God that Pastor Brad and Sam, Marcus, Kaya, Frey, and Judah have been with us since 2007. Well, the children have been with us since they've been born, but Pastor Brad and Sam have been with us since 2007. And I'm so grateful to God that the French family are not casual observers. I mean, what they're doing is a great step of faith, and it shows that they are already experiencing the greater things of God, and he has even more in store for them. I'm going to miss them a great deal, but they're, they're, they're a great example to us, each one of us and every one of us, of what it means to follow God all in. One of the things I'm really glad about, though, is that we get to continue partnering with Pastor Brad and the Father's Heart Church through our New Life Network. Today's message is based on a single word, turning. It's the most important word if we want to experience God in our lives, if we want to not be casual observers, if we want to experience the greater things of God, if we want to do our part as we wait for God as He does His part in our lives. Let's add a phrase to that word turning that will explain a little bit more about the directions there are two that we need to turn. First of all, turning away and turning toward. Every prophet in the Bible's Old Testament called the people of Israel to turn away from sin, to turn away from the worship of idols, and to turn toward God. 
when John the Baptist came to prepare the way for Jesus' coming, the first thing he said to people was, repent. And why did the people need to repent? They needed to be ready for the kingdom of God that was coming in the man Jesus who would be revealed as the Christ or the Messiah, God's great deliverer. And even Jesus, when he came, the first message Jesus ever preached was, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. The word repent has two key meanings. Number one, to change one's mind. And number two, to turn around. There's that word, turning. So if we're going to pursue God who's already pursuing us, and that's the key thing we need to know, God is always pursuing us, then we must change our minds. Why? Well, because our minds start out filled with self and filled with sin. We want what we want. And if you don't believe me, all you have to do is follow a couple two or three-year-olds around for a day and see how many times they say the word mine, especially if they have siblings. As I was growing up and attended Gypsy Christian Church in Gypsy, Pennsylvania, I heard this one statement, phrase, whatever you want to call it, over and over and over again. And here it was, believe, repent, and be baptized. Believe, repent, and be baptized. And I always wondered, where did that come from? Where did that originate? And one day, when I was still a boy, I was reading the book of Acts, and I came to chapter 2, which tells about the first Christian Pentecost. And after the Holy Spirit descended from heaven and rested on the 120 believers who had been praying and waiting for 10 days for him to come, after they ran out into the streets and told everybody in dozens of different tongues or languages the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ, after Peter had preached a message to explain what was going on. The people said, brothers, what must we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ to show that you have received forgiveness for your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So do you see it? There's repent and be baptized. The reason believes not there is because you, you wouldn't really repent and and be baptized if you didn't believe that Jesus was Lord, and Peter had already preached all about that. So believe, repent, and be baptized. Throughout the New Testament, the focus is on turning, turning away from sin and turning back to God. That's why today's take-home point is repentance is about turning away and turning toward. We're going to look at one more verse that has to do with this need for turning. It comes from the prophet Malachi. Malachi wrote these words, ever since the days of your ancestors, and God is speaking these words, ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we've never gone away? Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, the last prophet who, record, who spoke the word of God and had them recorded in the Bible. And those words are so key. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey. So we must turn away from sin because that is our natural path. Ever since Adam and Eve turned away from God in the Garden of Eden because they wanted to be their own God, the only way for us to have a relationship with God has been to repent, to turn away from sin and to turn back to God. Our natural direction Every single one of us, our natural direction is to turn away from God. We must turn away from that natural direction and turn back to Him. Adam and Eve were not the only ones who ever turned away from God. In fact, every human being who has ever lived has turned away from God and sinned. Down through the millennia, human beings have lied, we've cheated, we've stolen, we've worshipped false gods, we've wasted our lives, and we've exercised all kinds of immorality. 
And for most of human history, most people knew and admitted that that was wrong and they wanted to change from it. In our culture, in the United States of America, primarily in my lifetime, we've sort of taken a different course. The mainstream culture has moved slowly and nearly imperceptibly at first from bemoaning our sin, from seeking to turn away from it, overcome it, to basically calling everything good. Whether it's sexuality, marriage, or indulging other physical desires, we've moved from labeling it as sin to just saying, hey, you know, it's just my way of doing it. I sort of like it that way. Actually, everything is good. Many Jesus followers in our time have sought to remove themselves from our culture by developing their own Christian subculture. Rather than living in this world that we see around us, we just sort of pull away from it because we know the world is moving away from God, away from Jesus, away from living in the power of the Holy Spirit. And many of us have repented. We have turned away from sin and turned toward God. So we've trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord, but we've become more and more fearful Or maybe we just don't consider it worth the effort to call other people to repentance. The older we are, the more likely we are to pursue God in our own lives, but to shy away from engagement with the culture. We don't understand the technology, so we tend to vilify it as coming from the devil. And to be sure, much that transpires on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and other social platforms is evil. But the challenge is... We live in a world, we live in a world that since our ancestors, Adam and Eve, we have scorned God's decrees and failed to obey them. If Malachi, if Malachi told his contemporaries more than 2,000 years ago, who lived in a world where the only news you ever received was from your family or from the community where you lived or from some outsider walking into the village that they needed to turn away from their sin and return to God, imagine how much more challenging it is for us who live in a world where news is available about everything that's going on all around the world in an instant. Jesus never told us, though, to reject our culture. He never told us to isolate ourselves from everyone else. He told us to be in the world, but not of the world. He he told us to call each and every person in our spheres of influence to turn away from sin and to return or turn back to God. One of the greatest challenges that we face in proclaiming this turning away and turning toward in our culture is we live in a culture that calls evil good and good evil. If we think it, that's new, I just want to comfort you. Maybe it's a comfort. I hope it is. That's not new. In fact, Malachi's generation worshiped false gods. They cheated God through not giving tithes and offerings. They lived their faith half-heartedly. Look at what God spoke to the people of Israel through Malachi more than 2,000 years ago. And these words come immediately after the verse that we just read about returning, you know, to God. He says this, and God is speaking once again, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before, before they are ripe says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. You have said terrible things about me, says the Lord, but you say, what do you mean? What have we said against you? 
You have said, what's the use of serving God? What have we gained by obeying his commands or by trying to show the Lord of heaven's armies that we are sorry for our sins? From now on, we will call the arrogant blessed for those who do evil get rich and those who dare God to punish them suffer no harm. You know, the chief difference between then and now is in an instant, we can reach into our pocket, pull out our phone, and we can read about those who are arrogant, who are being blessed. Those who um, are evil are getting rich. And those who challenge God, you know, to punish them, suffer no harm. Not only that, we're also bombarded with messages from everywhere encouraging us to cheat God, to put ourselves first. Messages telling us that God doesn't exist. And if he does exist, he doesn't really care about us. Messages telling us that whatever feels good to us right now in this moment is loving and caring and right. Malachi challenged his contemporaries and specifically the religious leaders to repent, to turn away from their sins and to return or turn back to God. So here's another challenge we face. When we call others to repentance in our culture, we are labeled haters. Now, if I say what you're doing is destroying you, what you're doing is keeping you from a relationship with the living God, the likely response is, well, what right do you have to tell me what's good or bad for me? What right do you have to tell me that your God and worshiping your God is what's right for me? In a world where everyone does what's right in his or her own eyes, and it's even considered repressive or hateful to use the pronouns his or her, how can we engage the culture? How can we engage the people in it in ways that will bring about their turning? turning away from sin, and turning back to God. Well, let me suggest two ways to engage people in our culture that will help them to turn, to turn away from sin, and to turn back to God. Let's take them one at a time. Here's the first one. Make every effort to live the turning that you are calling others to experience. If we are wanting other people to turn away from sin and turn back to God, then we need to live that out in our own lives. If you've been part of New Life for a while, you've probably heard me say, when you're right, you don't need to yell. And yet, a lot of folks who haven't given up on calling people to repent, to turn back to God, are screaming at them. They yell, repent! If you don't repent, you're going to go to hell and burn there forever. Now, let me tell you, when you scream like that, the people who need to hear the message most, they turn it off. Because no matter how sincere the message, the tone of our message often causes it not to be heard. Now, does that mean that no one has ever believed in Jesus? No one has ever been baptized and, 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 and become a follower of Jesus after someone screamed at them to repent and to believe to be baptized? Of course not. You might even be one who actually came to Jesus that way. It was certainly John the Baptist's approach, but it wasn't Jesus' approach. Jesus started his ministry by saying, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. But you know what? He also demonstrated the truth of his coming kingdom by healing sick people, by casting demons out of people, by feeding hungry people, by associating with abject sinners, and by calling common people to be his followers. Jesus' typical approach to guiding people toward turning was kindness, compassion, and meaningful help in their lives. You know, Jesus' life demonstrates the kind of life that one who has turned away from sin and turned back to God lives. But here's the thing. Jesus never needed to turn. Jesus never needed to repent. He had never sinned. He is God. But here's the key. Jesus calls us to live new lives. 
When Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader, came to Jesus to talk about religion, Jesus cut to the chase. He said, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, we can scream at people all we want. We can bemoan the condition of our culture, and we ought to do that, to be frank. But unless we are born again, unless we're living out that newness of life, why would anyone ever believe us when we say they need to turn? You see what I'm saying? If we're not living the turning away from sin and the turning toward God in our own lives, why should people believe us when we tell them they need to do it? Pastor Barry reminded us a couple weeks ago that the greater things of God are not for the casual observer. I've lived my life following Jesus for the last 51 years. What that means is that my life ought to look a lot more like Jesus than many of yours. When I tell you that turning away from sin and turning to God is the most important action you can take, you ought to see the results of that action in my life. And those of you who have known me the longest ought to have seen the most turning away from sin and turning to God in my life, if that's actually real. During these 21 days of pursuit, some of you have been fasting. I'd never fasted, actually, for more than two weeks in my entire life until this past January. And most of those two-week fasts were Daniel fasts, which means I ate fruits and vegetables along with the water that I drank. So I sensed that God was calling me to a serious time of fasting during our 21 days of prayer and fasting back in January. So I engaged in seven days of a water-only fast, followed by seven days of a water, juice, and broth fast, followed by five days of a Daniel fast. Now, if you're quick at math, you realize that's not 21 days, that's only 19 days. That's because the last two days, uh, Nancy and I went on a family vacation, and, uh, you know, I just wasn't going to fast during vacation. So it was a 19-day fast, not 21. What I learned during that fast, that extended 19 days of fasting, was how often I used food in inappropriate ways. The Apostle Paul wrote these words in Philippians 3. He said, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. That's the focus. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. You know, I'd read that passage often and I understood a little bit of what it meant that their God is their belly. But until I took that 19 days of concentrated fasting, and, and during that 19 days my appetite for food diminished Before I did that, I never realized how often that I would wolf down my food at a meal and then I would sit waiting for Nancy and the girls to finish so I could get on to something more important. How often that I would eat a bag of potato chips while I was watching a TV show. And when I say a bag of potato chips, I'm not talking about those little ones. I'm talking about the whole bag, the big one. How often that I would use food to comfort me when I was upset about something. I wish I could say that that one 19-day fast back in January cured me of all of those things and that now I just do everything the way it should when it comes to food. But I I want you to understand something. Turning away from good things is so much easier than turning away from the bad things. It's so much harder to turn away from the things that are harmful for our lives. Thus, we're in another 21 days of prayer and fasting. Some of you may be participating, others not. My goal isn't to make you feel good if you are and bad if you're not. I simply want to understand that when I fasted for an extended period of time, as I'm doing again right now, 
that my appetite for food diminishes and my appetite for God grows. That's a good thing. It helps me become more like Jesus. Right at the beginning of this 21 days of fasting, I had a, a wedding in Ohio. And then I, after that, I had a, a vacation in Cincinnati with the family. So that meant I fasted for five days, then I took two days off for the wedding. Then I fasted for two days, and I took four days off for the vacation. And now I'm in 14 days. That adds up to 21. If you think that's cheating, then you miss the point of fasting. But here's the point. I want to tell you that the reason I share all of that with you is because as your pastor, when it comes to fasting, I've been a casual observer pretty much all my life. Sure, I've fasted for a day or I've, you know, done a Daniel fast. But in my life, I've never really engaged in fasting for any period of time. And so I've missed out on the greater things of God in that area because I've been a casual observer. And I haven't told you how important it is for you to engage in fasting because, frankly, here's the thing. I wasn't doing it, and I'm not going to ask you as, as your pastor to do something I'm not doing because that would be pretty hypocritical. So this challenging year of 2020, God has challenged me to engage in a 21-day fast in January before we knew any of this COVID stuff was happening and again right now. And let me tell you this. Because of those two fasts, I've been able to approach this time much more calm uh, with a much better attitude than I would have otherwise. And I've experienced the greater things of God through participating in those 40 days of fasting, which really, it isn't yet 40. I'm only on the I guess, uh, 13th day right now. The more we live the disciplines of prayer, giving, and fasting, the more we let the Holy Spirit grow us from the inside out, the more we will produce the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The more that others who are looking at us and in whom we're sharing their need for turning will see the turning away from sin and the turning toward God in our lives and the more credible our witness becomes to them. So it's so important for us to live out the turning away from sin and the turning to God in our own lives. And the second way that we can engage people in this process of turning is to walk with the people that you are guiding through the process of turning. Don't just tell them about it. Walk with them. You know, one of the great advantages of this COVID-19 season, and you're probably saying, please tell me an advantage of this COVID-19 season, is we've been required to spend much more time with a smaller group of people, whether it's through mandated quarantine or self-quarantine or whether it's social distancing. Most of us have been in smaller groups or in groups with individuals much more often than in large groups, much more often than we would be doing in normal times. We all know the downside of this entire, you know, months and months of COVID. But the upside is we can focus on one or two or a few people in ways that we seldom do. Across the nation, as churches have been returning to worship, the average attendance in churches is about 20 to 30% of it what it was back in February. Now, that's a statistic that no pastor wants to hear. But here's the thing. Jesus invested more than 70% of his time in only 12 people. That's right. 70% of Jesus' three years of ministry was invested in only 12 people. We read about Jesus feeding the 5,000, feeding the 4,000, about the crowds that pressed in against him to be healed and to be delivered from demons, to hear his messages. But the reality is Jesus invested three-quarters of his time, almost three-quarters of his time, into 12 men, his disciples. And actually, some of that time was in just three people, Peter, James, and John. 
So if Jesus, the Son of God, who had only three years to invest in preparing the world for a future where his salvation would turn us away from sin and turn back to God, if he invested most of his time in 12 people or less, as we seek to guide our family, our friends, our coworkers, acquaintances in their turning away from sin and turning back to God, doesn't it make sense? Doesn't it seem important for us to do that with a handful or a few? The challenges we face in our culture are many when it comes to being advocates for Jesus, a man who called us away from sin and back to himself. Yet as we live out our turning, our lives, as we live out that turning in our lives, turning away and turning toward God, then as we connect with a few people along the way, showing them the blessings of love and obedience to Jesus, of believing, repenting, and being baptized, we won't be able to remain as casual observers which means we will experience the greater things of God. Our witness, our turning is crucial in the process. And so that's why today's next step is this. I will turn away from sin and toward God in every area of my life this week. I will turn away from sin and turn toward God in every area of my life this week. As we turn away from sin and turn toward God, I want you to know something. Other people are watching. There are always people watching us. And here's the thing. Those who are the most vocal that Christians are haters, those who are sure that we don't have anything to offer them are the ones who are watching the most. Now, they might not say anything, but as they see us turning away from sin ourselves and turning toward God in practical ways every single day, that testimony may just be the thing that leads to their turning. Amen. Turning away from sin and turning to God is such a simple but such a powerful action. In fact, if you've never done it, if you've never turned away from your sin and turned back to God, I want to tell you about what it means to do that. And it's as simple as A, B, C. To turn away from sin, we need to admit that we're sinners. We need to admit that we have turned away from God in our lives and that we need to turn back to Him. B is believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. We need to believe that he actually is who he says that he is. We need to trust in him with all of our hearts. And then C, we need to confess our sins to God and confess Jesus as Savior and Lord. As we do those three things, we start to live the life that's turned away from sin and turned back to God. And the thing is, what did Malachi tell us? Well, God told us in Malachi, he said, if we turn back to him, he will return to us. He will develop a relationship with us that's real and personal. And he's been waiting for us to do it for a really long time if we've never done it. So right now, we're going to have a time of prayer. And we're going to start off just with some silent prayer. And during that silent prayer, I'd like you, as you're watching online, if you're ready to turn your life over to Jesus, turn away from sin, turn back to him, admit, believe, and confess the importance of his presence in your life, then I'd just like you to raise your hand during the prayer because what's going to happen, you can do that in the chat. And as you do that, you'll have the opportunity to talk with one of the hosts and they will talk to you a little bit more about what it means to live this new life of turning away and turning toward because it's a lifelong process. It's not just a one and done kind of thing. So let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the reality that when we turn away from sin and return to you, that you return to us. I thank you for any who are watching online today who have done that. They've turned away from their sin. They've admitted their need for you because they admitted they are sinners. They've believed for the very first time that Jesus is Lord and Savior. And they're confessing to you, even maybe in this moment, the sin of their lives and confessing that Jesus is Lord. God, I pray your blessing upon them. I pray that you would give them the experience of your Holy Spirit's power. As Jesus said, we're born again, born of the Spirit, not a fleshly birth, but a, a, a new birth in the Spirit. God, I pray for all of us who have already admitted and believed and confessed, have already turned away from our sin and are turning to you. And we know that's an ongoing process. God, fill us with your Holy Spirit, new and fresh, that we can live in your power, that we can indeed turn away from those sins that just seem to stick with us and come back. Even after we've turned away, we seem to turn to them again. God, we pray for strength. And that strength comes from your Holy Spirit, not from ourselves, not from our bodies, not from our flesh, but from your Spirit that we would turn to you in every single moment, that, that as we said in our next step, that we will turn away from sin and turn back to you every moment and in every area of our lives this week. We give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a blessed week.